Well, good morning. How are we doing? My name is Dustin Yankaski. I'm one of the campus life pastors here in Westerville. Just want to say welcome. Thank you for spending your morning with us. If you're a guest of ours, just want to extend a special welcome. Glad that you're here. Um, you're joining us uh, in week three of a series that we call Now Playing, where we look at this intersection between film and faith. Right? Every movie has a message, and together we examine that message um, according to God's word. And so from the trailer, you can tell we're looking at Super Mario Brothers, a movie that came out this past April. Uh, with Super Mario, it is kind of amazing if you think about it. Since its debut creation in 1985, it's been able to consistently bridge the gap between generations. Um, this movie is the, the latest example of that. For some, of the, for some of us, I know this movie is not your thing at all. Like maybe you didn't have kids that drug you to it. Uh, maybe in the past 40 years, you yourself didn't really engage with Mario. Uh, but for some of us, this movie was like a time capsule of nostalgia, right? You heard the music, you see the characters, all the callbacks, and man, it just transports you back to a time when you were younger and you engaged with it more. I think maybe the biggest win for me is the fact that now this is the movie, the Mario movie, that we'll all remember and build on into the future. Because some of you might remember this 1993 movie. Uh, somebody had the bright idea to make a video game into a live action movie in 1993. And it took the, the evil turtles, the Koopas, right? This is the Koopa in the video game and in the, in the movie, and they look like this. That's childhood nightmare material right there. Like, I'm still recovering from that. So let's be thankful. That when, now we have this new movie to build on, right? And forget that. It was just the worst. Uh, so in a movie that is quintessentially about good versus evil, there's a lot of themes that you and I can pull out and look at and examine, okay? But we're going to look at the brothers themselves, Mario and Luigi. Because more so than any video game, this movie takes their brotherly love, the relationship, and brings it front and center, right? It starts off very early in the movie, they're in, they're in business together, right? In spite of a lack of support from their own family, they have each other's backs. They are united. And it only gets deeper from there. You saw in the trailer, they get separated. They have to fight for one another, sacrifice for one another. Mario puts himself in the middle of Bowser's wrath for his brother. And it's actually Luigi at the end that steps in and saves Mario. So what? So what? Like, why is this worthy of our attention as a church? Because Jesus designed his church to function in a very similar way. Acts 2, 42 says this, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. The Greek word for fellowship there is koinonia. And it's pregnant with depth. That we might miss because we hear a translated fellowship and we don't really use that word. But there's intimacy and koinonia, a depth in relationships within that community. So a different way to think about it is, as a church, the people of God, it's a place where deep friendships exist. In God's family, the brotherly love that we see on screen is fiction made real. Brothers and sisters in Christ, with the same genuine affection, the willingness to befriend, sacrifice, and serve one another. The Bible says this is a place where some of the deepest friendships possible happen. And so I get it. Maybe some of you are hearing this and thinking, friendship, this is, why I, this is what I came to church to hear about. But before you dismiss it, can I just suggest that dismissing friendship, devaluing deep friendship, aligns closer with our culture than with our God? Because if our culture celebrates or elevates a type of relationship, it tends to be romantic or sexual in nature, Right? 
You see it featured on websites, Brad Pitt's new girlfriend. Or you literally see it everywhere, Travis Kelsey, Taylor Swift. The music we are surrounded by puts these types of relationships at the center too. The number one in the Billboard Top 100 is about it, and the whole rest of the list is littered by it. But ballads of amazing friendship? Not so much. Our culture trains us to value certain types of relationships and to push deep friendship to the margin. Now, is that because we just do it so naturally on our own? Like it'd be a waste of time to spend time with it? No, very much not the case. You know, there was a recent survey that asked in the past six months, have you discussed an important matter with someone? Out of all the important matters that you and I face, the dozens that we go through every week, how often have you discussed one with someone? Over 50% had no one outside of their family, a friend. In the last decade, analysts say we are experiencing a significant decline in meaningful friendships that the church is not exempt from. It's worse for men because we tend to connect superficially over work or sports, and depth is often not arrived at. Just one in ten have someone outside of the family that they can go to with an important issue. One in ten. One in 20 men have a friendship where they can discuss how they really are doing, how they really feel. Five percent. Most men don't have deep friendships. And the other way friendship has declined in the past decade is we are spending almost half as much of time over 50% less time with the few friends that we do have. We're busier. Our schedules fill up. Kids got stuff to do. We got stuff on our calendars we have to go do. And that just pushes our time to invest into deep friendships to the margin. And then we have social media and technology tricking us into thinking how over-connected we are and equating that with deep friendship. Culture disregards friendships at our detriment. But, oh, God, God's word gives us a better way forward. See, the gospel will absolutely bring you to the heart of God. It will absolutely drive you into a broken world, but it will also drive you into deeper relationships with other brothers and sisters in Christ in a way that you didn't think was humanly possible. Do you know that power of friendship? We can never change our circumstances, right? What comes our way in life, but our friendships with other brothers and sisters in Christ changes our experience in those circumstances, does it not? When you're going through a hard time, man, people who run to your side to carry that burden with you. When things are going great, people to celebrate and rejoice with you. Think about that. Friendships, deep friendships have the power to have your hard times and multiply your best times. That's powerful. And some of us really need God's word on this right now because you're wrestling with feeling alone. There's battles in your life that are just stressing you out at work, in your marriage, in parenting, and you have no one to confide in. You have struggles with sin, and the enemy has you feeling isolated and alone. You almost feel defeated. You're in a rut spiritually. You're feeling more apathetic than passionate, and you've actually forgotten what it's like to run the race with somebody right alongside of you and, and gain strength. You've been doing it solo for so long. Or you come to church and it's become more about being friendly than making deep friendships. The good news is, this touches all of us in the room and God's word speaks to it for us and helps us with it. So first, we need to understand that we are made for deep friendship. You and I are made for deep friendship. 
So as we read through John chapter 15, 9 through 17, try and notice how often the word love gets mentioned in the context of friendship. This is Jesus talking here. John 15, 9 through 17 says, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and your joy may be made full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants. For the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask my father in his name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Jesus brings up friendship three times. So when he speaks of love here, it's clear it's in the context of friendship, a friendship type of love. And he starts by talking about his relationship with the Father in verse 9. He starts off, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. And so for all of eternity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit have existed as friends. The Trinity, one God and three persons, have known, communicated to one another, delegated to one another, been in a relationship as friends at the deepest of levels. Which means there has never been a time where friendship has not existed. Before the beginning, there was friendship. It's in God's nature, which has huge implications for you and I. Because in Genesis 1, 26, the Trinity, you have this inner Trinity dialogue. God the Father says, let us create man in our image. So listen, because we are made in the image of a God of deep friendship, you and I are made for deep friendship. In the creation narrative, you have this rhythm of over and over again, God created and declaring it was good. God created and it was good. God created and it was good. Genesis 2 comes along, verse 18. Then God said, it is not good. What's not good? It's the first not good. This should break the rhythm and gain our attention. That man should be alone. And this is before the, the fall, before sin entered the world. So this is not as a result of sin. God is saying in this moment, we have created mankind in our image, but he's not in our image yet. Because he's alone. There's no friendship. For some of us, this is a particularly challenging truth to receive. Because maybe you take pride in not needing people. You're kind of a loner. You like that. Maybe needing deep friends, you see it as a sign of weakness. But from this, we see the need and want for deep friendships is not a sign of immaturity, but maturity. It's not a sign of weakness, but health. The more you convince yourself you don't need deep friendships, the more you deviate from how you were made to flourish. It's not good to be alone. For others, this biblical truth connects the dots for you. You start to see the picture. You're like, yeah, I've been wondering why when deep friendships are in my life, man, something just feels right in my world. We were made for deep friendships. Now, if anybody's still on the fence about how important this is, like if you're still kind of skeptical, there's a ton of evidence outside the Bible, from outside the Bible, that proves this is true, that this is right, that we were made for deep friendships. Medical studies have shown that feeling alone, not having deep friendships, is associated with over 29% increased risk of heart disease, 32% increased risk of stroke, and 50% increased risk of dementia. And then you have a meta-analysis of over 70 individual studies 
has concluded that the lack of deep friendships reduced longevity of life as much as severe obesity or smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Deep, in, deep friendships impact our cardiovascular system, our immune system, how well we sleep, and your cognitive, cognitive health. It's almost as if we were made for them. And when they're not there, we're not able to function as we were designed to. We're made for deep friendship. Okay, so we're made for deep friendship. Okay, how then do we make deep friendships? The second thing we'll look at is we'll look at how Jesus made deep friendships here in, in John 15. And so first thing, it's important for us to understand that in Jesus' time, there were lots of different words for the different types of love that existed. The word for friendship type of love was one of the most revered and respected because it took work. It was the most intentional. You had to work to make friends and keep deep friends. So with that importance of friendship in mind, realize what it meant for Jesus to turn to his disciples and say, you're no longer servants. You're not just servants. You're not just my followers. You're not just students. You are my friends. And Jesus cultivated, made those friendships. How? Verse 15. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. He let them in on everything. All that I heard from my father, I told you. He led his friends all the way in. Jesus was completely vulnerable. He held nothing back. In fact, he contrasted their friendship with being a servant. Servants don't really need to know the mind and heart of the one they're serving, right? It's a job. Just do your job. Jesus said, I let you see the real me. I told you all the secrets. In fact, in Hebrew, the word for friend and secret can be translated the same. A friend lets you in on the secrets that others aren't privy to. You know, you know this. You and I know this. If you work with somebody or you spend a lot of time with somebody and you get this, just this feeling that their, their, their guard is up, right? You ever talk to somebody and you're trying to be real and honest and open and you just get the sense that what they're saying is not really what they're thinking? Then no matter how often or how much time you spend around them, you wouldn't call them a deep friend because they haven't let you in. Friends let you in. And this, listen, I know this comes with a particularly challenging application for you and I. Because we can't say we believe this, and when the opportunity comes up to let someone in ourselves, to share our lives with someone, we play friends. We pretend that all is okay in our marriage, that not struggling with some sin, not wrestling with apathy in our relationship with God. Jesus letting his friends in shows us that this isn't just some abstract idea. We can go beyond pretending and wade into deep friendships by letting others in. If you want to follow Jesus and be a part of this, let a trusted few in. You need to have some brothers and sisters that you look at and go, I am failing miserably at this. Just be with me. Just be an ear. Pray with me. Pray for me. We can't afford to pretend as a church. And some of you are frightened about being vulnerable, so that's why you pretend. Maybe you let people in 15% of the way because you're comfortable sharing that, but man, what if they saw the rest? What would they think? What would they say? So that fear of rejection 
prompts you to control how much you let people see. What I found is this. The same struggles you are scared to let others see are shared. They're shared struggles. If you in your life may be like, man, I'm struggling with being a bonehead. I made a stupid decision. My wife, my husband, and I aren't really getting along right now. My kids are just the worst. Get in line. Those are all common shared struggles that we, we lie to ourselves and say, oh, they're just mine. People would judge me. Don't hide your weaknesses and only play to your strengths. You may impress someone with your strengths, but you only connect with them by sharing your weaknesses. Deep friendship is built through sharing shared struggles, shared weaknesses. Let someone all the way in. Don't pretend. And the second way Jesus made deep friendships is in verse 13. He says, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Jesus showed steadfast devotion, no matter the cost to himself. He was there for them, even when it came at the greatest cost, laying down his life for them. And when the bottom falls out, in the worst seasons of life, when someone stays beside their friend, says, I'm not going anywhere, not out of obligation, but out of love, I'm here. Man, it costs them something to be there, right? Some of that suffering that the friend is experiencing slides onto you. Yes, their burden is lifted because you're carrying it. A friend sees that opportunity and shows steadfast devotion even when it costs them something. They choose to be there. You know, I have the joy of, of serving alongside Pastor Mark Shields, who also is known as uh, the better looking of the campus life pastors here. Um, I can't tell you how many times I've come into work, walked in, and just something on my mind, something in my heart, just, just wrestling. And I sit down, and he's here, and I just go, hey, can I process with him, something with you? And before he answers, like, I'm processing. Um, and he just stops what he's doing. And it's not out of obligation at all. Yes, I'm letting him in, but he locks arms with me, listens, cares, is actively engaged, sharing wisdom. And this is wisdom not just because he's a grandpa now. Like, he had this wisdom long before. He had this practice long before. And, and yes, I benefit from what he says. Absolutely. There's wisdom. God uses him to speak into my life. I'm like, man, that's a good word. Thank you. I mean, something happens as he models Jesus to me by stepping alongside of me. I get to see his heart and I connect with his heart. Man, we're, we're closer. Being a friend, a deep friend, is not a safe thing. Definitely wasn't for Jesus. And some of us may pe keep people at arm's length because, man, just to get involved is so messy. That's uncomfortable. But just as friendship comes with a price to pay, so does protecting yourself from it. C.S. Lewis said this, if you love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken, if you want to make sure of keeping it intact, your heart, give it to no one. Wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in its casket of selfishness. But in the that uh, casket, safe, dark, and motionless, it will change. It will not become broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, and irredeemable. The only alternative to tragedy, or at least the risk of tragedy, is damnation. And listen to this. The only place outside of heaven where you can be perfectly safe from all the risks of love is hell. 
Jesus is absolutely our example to follow in this. He had 12 friends that he poured his life into, constantly let him down, constantly hurt his feelings, were not there when he needed them the most. And yet here he is still loving them, stepping and being the type of friend, laying his life down for them, the perfect friend. Before Jesus would ever let them down, he would lay his life down. Nothing could make him turn away. No offense he wouldn't forgive. And if that seems like a challenging example for you and I to follow, you're right. There's no way on our own you and I can be that kind of friend. There's a power you need to make deep friendships. And that's our last point. Power we need, need to make deep friendships. You know, Jesus commanded them, us, in verse 12, to love one another as he has loved us. So he connects our ability to be a friend with his friendship. He connects our ability to love with his love. And until you see that the power for deep earthly friendships comes from your relationship with Jesus, you will never be satisfied or fulfilled in your earthly relationships. We need friendships, absolutely. We've already talked about that. But until we have a friendship with God through Jesus, you will always look to imperfect people to fill that hole in your heart and you will always be let down, 100% of the time. Do you know what a friend you have in Jesus? That in spite of your sin, my sin, our rebellion against the holy God, which makes us absolutely deserving of judgment, that the Son of God willingly laid down his life for you so that you could be welcomed into the family of God. Our friendship with Jesus is the basis for all other human relationships. The perfect friend Jesus gives us the power we need to befriend imperfect people because he has befriended us. Practically, how do you get that power? How do you and I get that power? The Holy Spirit given to us, in us, through us, with us. See, we've been in John 15, the chapter before, John 14, Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit coming to people who have received and accepted him as Savior. And I I heard a pastor put it like this. Imagine, Imagine you don't live in Westerville, you've never been through Westerville, and driving through Westerville for the first time. You're trying to get to Polaris Mall, right? Trying to get to go to Benihana, I don't know. You're going to Polaris Mall, and you just can't find it. But you see somebody walking along the side of the road. And you, so you pull over and you go, hey, I'm trying to get to Player Small. How do you get there? And the first thing they could do is they could say, hey, you know what? There's been construction, so the normal way, you're not going to be able to get there. Go down here, you take a left, see the stop sign, take a right, take a right, take a left, another left, go straight. They could give you a map of sorts, right? Or what they could do is to say, you know what? Normal way is kind of closed. It's really complicated. I can hop in and I can show you. They're not giving you a map. They're giving you themselves. And through that relationship, you'll find your way. The Holy Spirit is God getting into the car with us. He gives us himself. Offers us a relationship. And through friendship, we know him. Follow him and listen to his word. And you cannot be his friend until you see that he has laid down his life, not for just the world, but for you. And just as the disciples could have missed this this new friendship that Jesus was offering and could have just maintained their servant-only mindset, we can miss out on friendship with God through Jesus because it's just about being a good person. It's about being a church person. It's about being a religious person. You can engage in activity with God like a servant in religion and miss out on the relationship entirely. 
And so maybe up until today, you've been religious or considering religion. But is Jesus your savior? Do you see him laying down his life for you as a friend? He doesn't need servants to do his bidding. He wants friends to walk with him. So have you looked at Jesus laying down his life for you? Do you love and trust him as a savior of your life? Verse 16, we didn't choose him. He chose us. He saw all of my brokenness, all of your brokenness, all my sin, and he willingly laid down his life. He's the perfect friend, letting us all the way in. How much more vulnerable can he be? Look at his arms open, nailed for you. How much more devoted can he be, willing to pay the highest cost to himself? If, you, if we know Jesus has welcomed us all the way in and calls us friends, we have the power to step out in our earthly relationships because we're not afraid of rejection. We're not afraid of rejection. We're already accepted and loved. And so before we close out, I want us to consider some, some ways we can apply what we've heard today and what we've looked at. First thing is, the Bible calls us to evaluate who has the closest access in your life? Who your deepest friends are? We're made for deep friendship, but also our deepest friendships make us. Proverbs 13, 20 says, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Our friendships, our deepest friendships will make us. I heard a pastor say that you and I are the average of our five closest friends. And he went as far to say this, you want a future? You, show me your friends, I'll show you your future. Those that have the closest access to you, man, I can predict what your next year will be like, what your next five years will be like with them as friends. And I've seen this. I've seen a spouse befriend, let, the, let divorce people like the closest in their life, and man, slowly but surely, it happens over time, they start to get embittered towards their spouse because of their bitterness towards their ex-spouse. One, three, five years later, they're no longer married. Coincidence? Maybe. I don't think so. I've, I've seen people who have friends who, who wrestle and, and, and have substance abuse affect people who are trying to faithfully follow Jesus. I've seen people who are apathetic in their faith get befriended, and people who, who love the Lord and are passionate slowly over time become apathetic. This is true. This is a biblical truth. Those who walk with the wise become wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. We can put Proverbs 12, 26 into practice. It says, the righteous choose their friends carefully, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. This word, righteous choose their friends, this is the word for literally spies out. Man, I'm intentional with who I let in to the, the core, my core friends. I spy them out. I'm super intentional. And this is obviously does not mean that non-believers, or people who don't believe in, in God and follow Jesus, that they don't have a place of friendship. Absolutely they do. But this is also saying we should evaluate carefully who, who our core are because they will influence, they will make us or break us. And I, I've heard it put, and maybe you've heard it, like concentric circles, like your core, those, those closest to you. Man, those people in the same spirit, the same Lord, like they get you. They get what you're trying to do, and they're locked arms. And it's most important for them to be brothers and sisters in Christ. But yeah, you have the next circle out, right? Your community, 
15, 20. I still think a lot of those should probably be believers, but it doesn't have to be. And then you have people you're casual friends with. Absolutely, there's friendship. I heard it read as I was studying for this that we have the capacity up to of 150 friendships. Yeah, they can't all be the super tight ones. You don't have enough capacity for that. So absolutely, there's a place for them. But evaluate who your closest friends are. God's word challenges us to evaluate who our closest friends are. And so the second thing is, take some time to think through how you're doing at developing deep friendships. How are you doing at developing deep friendships? Maybe your step is today to finally let somebody in. Finally let somebody in. Take the mask off. Stop pretending. Stop just settling for being friendly and make deep friendships. Over shared weakness. Or maybe you need to look around and ask for God's eyes to see, and who are the brothers and sisters that needs somebody to step alongside of them. And I can model Jesus by saying, I see you, and I'm here. Not, about, not out of obligation, but out of love. I'm, I'm going to stop playing it safe. Life is messy. I'll allow a little bit of their mess to get on me. If you consider LifePoint Church your church, and you're wondering, where do I even start with friendships? And the best two places to look are life groups that meet regularly, Weekly, men's groups, women's groups, family groups, and our life teams that serve alongside of one another. There's a life group catalog, QR code out there. You can find one that works on your night of the week, works, it's a men's groups, women's groups, family groups, whatever you're looking for, and location of town. You can come talk to me. I'd be glad to help you take a step. Life, life team, you want to serve, you want to get involved in the life of our church and what God's doing here. Absolutely, there's a way to get connected out there. But listen, just showing up in those spaces won't get you all the way there. Being genuine in there. And that's, that's the other half. But showing up will give you the opportunity to do that. So I'm going to pray for us. Thanks for letting me serve. I'd ask if you want to pray, you would pray with me. Lord, first off, I thank you for choosing me. I had nothing. We have nothing to offer you. In fact, while we were still sinners, Jesus, you died for us. I have no hope outside of you, and you willingly paid the price. God, I ask that you help us as a church. God, culture will pull us into isolation, but you have called us into something deeper. Help us as a church to walk faithfully in our friendships. God, help us actually be friends and love each other in a way that honors Jesus, but others would look in on those friendships and go, man, I know something about God because of how they love one another. God, Jesus, we rightfully call you Savior. We rightfully call you King. Thank you for calling us friend. God, we love you. We just ask for your help. Thank you for welcoming us all the way in and being there, laying down your life in our greatest need. It's in your name we pray. Amen.